0: This is Point of View, a podcast exploring today's digital landscape through a critical lens. Each episode, Gil Rosen, our chief marketing officer at Amdocs, will interview leading authors, entrepreneurs, and experts to help listeners view the online world from a different vantage point and demystify some of your most burning questions. We're discussing everything from fast fashion to the psychology of the internet, underscoring it all with a forward-thinking perspective, Are you ready for the future? Let's get digital. Like many areas today, the fashion industry is at a turning point as consumers search for more efficient, environmentally friendly alternatives to traditional clothing companies. Most people purchase clothes, they only end up wearing a maximum of three times, and yet, Fast fashion conglomerates are pressured to turn out new collections each season. As the climate crisis looms, more companies and entrepreneurs are helping us usher in a new way of looking at the world of fashion. Today's guest is Adi Shemesh, the founder and former CEO of Trench, a tech startup helping to revolutionize the fashion industry. Adi combined her love of fashion with her experience as an economist at the Central Bank of Israel formulate the concept behind Trench. Her expertise in fashion, finance, and tech gives Adi a unique perspective on the way we consume clothing and the future of the industry.
1: Good to have you with us, Adi. Can you tell uh, our listeners about Trench?
2: Yes, of course. So Trench started because we realized that even though there are amazing marketplaces for secondhand fashion which is today called pre-owned because it's not necessarily secondhand and it's not necessarily old. It can be really things that are very new and barely worn. We realized that the evolution of the pre-owned marketplaces for fashion would be the solution for the masses. Uh, So anybody can become a seller uh, and sell and any item uh, should be able to get sold, even if it's something pretty basic. So with this concept, we really started building a whole new approach for how marketplaces should look like. And we really built it around the community. We put the community in the center. So we changed the concept completely. So instead of being a middleman that gets like percentage of each sale, we tried to remove all barriers from moving one item from a closet to another closet. And we eliminated that concept completely. We became um, just a SaaS platform, basically. So people are paying subscription, membership fee instead of um, commission. And we really have the motivation this way to bring people closer together. So if right now, like in regular marketplaces, if I like your closet, for example, and I want to continue buying there, um the platforms don't really have a motivation to bring us closer because they are taking commission and trench is built around the concept that friends should be able to trade with friends in a really convenient way because and that people should be able to buy from their neighborhood because it has tons of stuff and it's already filtered to your own style.
1: So, so yeah, I wanna I wanna stop you for a second and, and talk about one uh, one topic that I think is kind of fundamental that, to everything that you're talking about, and that is about how the platform is actually meant to connect people instead of acting as a mediator and acting as an agent. It's actually acting as a way of bringing people together. Can you talk about how? you know, your approach to that and how, and and do you think it's just beyond trench? Do you think it's something bigger than, or or something that will develop beyond like, and, and kind of take over how we do things?
2: I think that the main motivation even for communities, for most of communities, is not, it's of course it's social, but usually the communities we belong to, they're usually around our own needs and usually it's economical needs. So what we decided to do with Trench was you know, eliminate the middleman, the commission, but also we use barter points instead of money. So you can't buy with dollars, you buy with uh, these trading points that are called diamond, and they function as the money of the app. And you
1: cannot buy them or sell them for dollars. How do you make them? So how, do you, how do I make diamonds then?
2: When you join, you get a few. And, it, and then you, when you upload your first item, you're going to get a few more based on what you uploaded. So you have motivation to upload something great. The whole idea is to get fashion items with your own fashion items that you're not wearing. So it's actually to utilize those 80% of the closet that you're not wearing in order to get new items. And the diamonds, is it's just the facilitator. It's just there so you can put value on your items. And it depends, you know, it depends on what you're uploading, which brand, what the condition is, but also who you are. We saw that on the platform, some people that were very popular and and did a good job as sellers were able to price for more. So when it comes to the community, the whole idea was to really break the barrier and remove the barrier of moving one item from a closet to a closet from an economical standpoint. Just how to get it to be extremely cheap. Mm. And of course, if you are already in a neighborhood filled with people that have kind of a similar taste or a college campus, then it's already the best environment to shop at because you don't really have to do deliveries. You can really save a lot of money just on that. And you can save a lot of money on you know getting um, returns for items that are you know, wrong size, wrong whatever. And the community element... I think it's a byproduct of this. Of course, it's something I always had in mind, but we really wanted to get to a point where people are sort of the filter for for style. I really love fashion. And when I'm looking to buy something new, usually I have a lot of work to do because I'm an online shopper. So I have tons of variety of options that I can get. And filtering and screening can be really tiring. And the community... That's a really important element, I think, for future filtering of any information in the future. So let's say I have someone that I saw through the platform that shares the same size, but also the same body type and the same style. It's automatically the most, the best filter you can have when it comes to quality And with technology and with um, not just with Trench, but with any marketplaces that have a community around them, you can get to a point where you can take that amazing filter and and scale it up. And suddenly the community has power to really make things accessible to you that are really filtered to who you are. Currently, we have like social media and we're following people. When it comes to our belongings, it would be a very powerful tool. And this powerful tool... The byproduct of it, which I think is more exciting than any of it, even the economical element, is the fact that you can get to people that share your own style in many ways. So if we share common interests, if we're interested in purchasing the same things, a lot of the times it means that we share other things in similar, or, but we can definitely relate to. And the whole conversation starts from a point where you relate to each other.
1: I want to ask you a question because i you know i want to, i want to take it to like uh to to the to the to the difficulties that you might have encountered and 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 actually you know when you when I hear you talk about what the connection creates and the filtering and actually being sharing similarities and one aspect can lead to having other interests in common and creating maybe even friendships or pseudo friendships or or you name it but actually if i think about you know, maybe a typical kind of VC investment community outlook on things, I would say to you two things. First of all, mm, uh, you know, filtering is overrated or human filtering is overrated. Isn't AI supposed to kind of bring you the best uh, whatever options? And the second thing is what you're actually doing, although you mentioned that the fashion industry is under pressure, if you're telling now an industry that 70% of its output is in excess, meaning they should be 80. produced... 80 even worse, are you like waking up gorillas who would want to hunt you down and silence you before you get this amazing innovative startup to life? So, okay, now I said so many things, I wanna like, let's take it like short questions uh, and, and start with the last thing I mentioned, and then we'll get to the others. When you actually present an innovative disruptive idea, how do you deal with the fact that you might be awaking? Giants that would want to kind of let's call it kill your idea.
2: You know, when you're creating a solution that doesn't go against something but can exist alongside of it, then it really has the opportunity to prove itself for a long time with no risk of, you know, getting attacked until you can see if it's working or not. So, for example, you know, it's Trench had did not replace actual stores. On the contrary, I I actually, we saw a lot of examples of people that got exposed to new brands through other people and then went and shopped from these brands. The whole idea is to make sure that when you buy something, it's not just something you're going to wear maximum three times and leave it somewhere. The idea is to make the whole industry efficient without actually touching the industry and without um, changing anything to it. So if you buy something and you wear it once or twice, you can put it on a platform and you can let it go. And if you don't have any value loss, which is the key, then you get to a point where you can just have something new every single day. And all these new things were things that were purchased with money from these
1: brands. So I'm coming back to what you, uh, uh, you said before about community and sharing and uh, the sharing economy. Do you think that, you know, because if you look at where the internet and e-commerce is going, you see AliExpress and you see eBay and you see Amazon and they're like the antithesis of communities and and everything that you described. So do you see like an undercurrent now of like sharing platforms emerging and then all of a sudden Amazon and the rest realize and they morph into that? Or do you see them already realizing it and maybe I'm not aware that they're already starting to implement like community barter type of activities.
2: So I think platforms like Amazon and AliExpress in the in their own way they are also marketplaces, right? They have a unique proposition that has to do with logistics and cutting the the cutting middlemans between the buyers and the manufacturers eventually. So You don't really have to do marketing. You don't really have to create your own website if you don't want to. So them by themselves are already kind of doing that. And I think that, you know, every product has the the premise that they're bringing. So, for example, with Amazon, it's the logistics and it's the familiarity with the process. You know how you're getting things. You know that you're covered with your returns. You have one place to track everything, and I think that's the power of, of that platform. But when it comes to, for example, creating, uh, sharing economies, because one of the biggest needs that we have is what will we do with everything that we're not using. We don't want to throw it away. We don't want to necessarily give it away. Like if I bought an expensive dress, I'm not going to give it to my best friend because it was really expensive. I'm also not going to sell it to her because it's... She's your friend because she's my friend that's what we that's what we actually sold with trench with the currency with the diamonds that were barter points because we saw tons of friends trading with the platform so those are things that you know it's not what it's not what amazon or aliexpress are looking to do they have other things that they're that they're doing and they're excelling at and i think that the whole idea is to really see how and and the more we we advance into this you know world of the internet where at the beginning it was just like about you know communication internet is communication and the communication is first you know us able to talk with each other or or do things with with each other that are digital but the more we advance into this and it's it's such a new phenomenon the internet the more we will just be able to control our physical environments through technology so our phones would be remote controls for our own reality and we're it's already happening like it's unbelievable. Without saying a word, I can get a cab to pick me up and get on a plane. And it's, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to have anything in my in my hand beside of this remote control, basically. So the more uh, it advances, I think that, of course, classic industries would have to work extremely hard. But I think it can be a good thing for them, too, because they would be able, for example, through like fashion. So... You can see which products are selling. You can see which products are not selling secondhand. You can see what people are letting go of, what they're looking for. And it will force industries to be more cautious about what they're selling. It will allow them to to basically create things that are much more environmental friendly and are in much higher quality. There won't be that pressure of creating things that are really new and dispensable. We would be able as, as as a race to create things that, are going to be better for us because it's going to be a high quality uh, and better for the environment.
1: So I think actually that's a, you know, really, it's an amazing manifesto for for the good of the internet, which I completely subscribe to. But I I want to challenge you with something that's, um, when when you kind of interacted with the business, investment, uh, technology, ecosystem, how much do you think? How much did you find that selling a, like a, the puristic idea, which you just sold to me, and I, and I bought, versus realistic money, bottom line, end of quarter, EBITDA, da da da, all these things, and they clash. How do you how do you rationalize them, and how did you maybe treat that dilemma?
2: So there there are a few parts to it. One is that yes, you know, companies and infrastructures and industries that have a ton of power they usually try to possess that power and their ability to disrupt usually is very limited. The way they will disrupt mostly today would be after someone else disrupts them to try and buy them out and either kill the idea or own the idea uh, and and grow it. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of corporates becoming powerful as, as countries are, which is really scary on one side, but we don't really know what was there in the past. Because we do know that it wasn't just countries that were in control, but also high net worth individuals that are sponsoring these countries and, um, and sponsoring presidents and, uh, and prime ministers that also had the power. And they were behind the shadows. So I think, you know, power usually seeks more power. We'll usually fight to not lose that power because gaining it is so, is so hard, so you don't want to lose it. But I think that, you know, that's why we are always seeing sort of like two sides of everything. So you have countries and you have the companies and they're balancing each other out. You don't also want c- countries to have so much power. And uh, and it can be scary. But I think that if you look at the long term, almost and, and sometimes it was really like it's hard devastating to see how some technologies weren't adapted and could have been adapted like decades ago. That would do a lot of good for many people and they're getting postponed. But it's sort of like, uh, you know, driving a car where you have like the gas. You, you also need a brake. Sometimes things happening too fast can harm too many people. You don't want the whole industry to go bankrupt all of a sudden. You don't want, you know, millions of people not being able to feed their families all of a sudden. It will devastate the economy. So I do believe that when it comes long term and the way we see the world is the more people around you are are wealthier and happier, the better you will be. And I think that is something that was already proven in history. You know, a king living by himself, so with everybody suffering around them, you know it's um it's not a model that usually works. People can, you know, rebel. And I think that it's something that rich people around the world are starting to understand. If you want to be in a wealthy environment and you want, to enjoy the productivity of others, which is what, what what wealthy people can do because they can invest and get in returns, you need an economy to thrive. And because of that, when it comes to just like manifestation and energy and the world, I really do believe that eventually that's where things are are headed. And I and we saw it already. All these apps that are allowing people from all over the world to have access to you know banking getting to places staying in place it's all of these things are 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 new and are disruptive and they still exist because people are looking to to get more and because they're benefiting a lot of people and because they're bringing that that ton of value to so many people they win and they have a place it can just take a lot of time
1: so uh i think that was a really good answer and i uh I think that um, yeah, I, I too believe that uh, this kind of balance is super important, and and that there's almost there's so much control that you can exert over time, and and you need the other side to be powerful enough because that feeds your own ecosystem. So that balance of power, you called it like being a benevolent king, but it's it's and and I also think that uh, even. If you think about the the biggest companies right now who are really kind of you know dominating our, our our connected life, I remember big dominant companies fifteen years ago that don't exist today. So I think that even the big dominant companies, you know, uh, Nokia and BlackBerry to to name two of them, right? When when Apple came out with a touch screen, the, the guys at BlackBerry were laughing, saying business people won't touch a phone without the keyboard, right? And 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 Nokia said that uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun gadget, but it costs six hundred dollars, and, and who's going to buy a six hundred dollar uh, uh, iPhone? So, and 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 so even giants can fail. And I think it's that uh, humbleness. I think in uh, the way that technology and the world moves actually puts everybody in a place where they can no longer exist tomorrow. And I think uh, that will probably create a place by definition for new things to come. But.
2: I love, by the way, that word uh, that you used humbleness, because I think it's um, what all of the industries learned after like the Nokia failure is that they should be more humbled. And you see a lot of industries that they're ready. Right. They did it to others. People now saw how much technology is moving fast and accelerating. So how easy it is to disrupt a whole industry so that so the giants, they're very much aware of it right now and they are more humble. So they're trying to track what's going on, to keep their eyes open about what can disrupt them. And tons of them are buying these solutions to kill them even early on. But I think that the evolution of it would be, you know, because you see a lot of companies buying companies and that that have the best technological solution that can benefit a whole industry. And then they're using it for only for their company. And then you see a product that is not as good as the first product That did not sell itself to a certain company that becomes like an industry standard, and the whole industry is using it. So I think maybe the evolution of it would be, and I hope it will, it it would be the evolution. Sort of wishful thinking, but I think that's how we, how we change things in the world. We have to believe that that's how they will be. But I think that maybe industries in the future would see the potential of not just buying something and use it for themselves, but selling it to their pairs in the industry and that could become something that's much bigger and much larger and maintain them for for much longer so hopefully we'll see products in the future that are being acquired and then serviced to competitors even
1: by the way i i i heard i think recently that microsoft and sony are starting to work together in the gaming industry for some standardization and and those are like two Two uh, competitors that were fiercely, uh, you know, that were fiercely at each other and trying to top one another and competition and the evolution of gaming brought the, the former giants or even existing giants to be more humble and start to work with each other. So I think reality is, oh, can be bigger than any one company and it's super important to, I wish everybody was more humble in, in how they actually conducted business. Um, I, I do the world
2: want... forces us to be with time.
1: It's right now like this and we can get into the real future because I think that we all realize the kind of that we're here for a while. And when you're here for a while and not forever, you have to make sure that you actually move on and change because otherwise, because you, you have a limited time. But, but that's a whole other rabbit hole of uh, philosophy. But I, I do want to ask you yeah, something. And,
2: and now it's the same for companies and not just for people.
1: Right. And now I want to ask you something that, uh, that, that takes a different take from your uh, kind of uh, background and experience, because you come from a certain place and you lo- also launched a company in a different continent. How much of your energy, time and focus and thinking and planning did you do considering culture and considering what you think is right versus how it's done in the other place? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Of course. I think that eventually it's about hitting a it's hitting a nerve about like a certain a certain need. It's not necessarily even a need. Like it's I I see it more as value. Like if you're doing a company, you should bring value. It's not necessarily a problem or a need that you're solving. It's just something that is would be valuable for people. So the first thing is really to make sure that the thing that you're offering when you take down all the wrapping and like the platform itself brings value to wherever you're going. And the other part is when you implement it is to really have the right people around you that are very much familiar with the culture that can really, you know, you really need that dynamic. You need a person going like, this is how it should be. This is my vision. And and another person's pushing because If you do it just by yourself or or anything, like if you stick to your own opinions, and that's in general, not necessarily to companies, you're not going to be able to come up with creative solutions that would be, you know, very meaningful. Uh, In order to have meaningful ideas, solutions that are creative, you need to have that ability to explore a lot of different angles on things. So it can be true when it comes to adapting to a certain culture and to anything else. And when adapting to a new culture, it's really, you know, it's a dialogue. There are things that are certain, like for example, with Germany, they have very intense privacy tendency. So it's not just GDPR, but it's also, they care more about things that are not just necessarily legal. So even before GDPR, even if things were legal. Uh, consumers won't approve certain things and would rather not use your app because um, because they care more about privacy. So you need to understand all these gaps to make sure that the market is even right for you. And after that, you need to learn, like everything else, how to copy it into a new location, but how to copy it with your mind open and understanding You know what are the constraints of that certain place and how you make that, that adaption. Um, With Trends specifically, it was from the very first second, the idea was to build it for the U.S. market.
1: So you were targeting the U.S. mentality and how the consumers in the U.S. From
2: the very beginning, yes. Generation Z in the U.S., people that are used to buying online, people that are used to meeting people online, people that were born into a world where they have many different shoes as kids, not just like two pairs like we did, and that, that are looking for getting more from what they have.
1: Okay, that's, a, that's an interesting reflection. I think that uh, even being more specific about saying, did you say that because this was where you launched or you thought that the platform by large is fitting to the U.S. market, but did you have like a global vision starting like U.S. first or was it like uh, U.S. is big enough for me? Do you think it makes a difference because then you design it for the U.S.? How do you take it to Germany?
2: I think that the value that Trencha can bring For the Western world specifically, right? It's a a very global need. Like Most women can relate to that. But when you launch something that is uh, very innovative and Trench was, um, it wasn't like that classic uh, consumer thing where 70% of the app is very familiar and then just like the 30% is what you innovate and bring something new to the table. We had so many elements that were new because we really just rebuilt the whole behavior about shopping. So you can basically open your phone, you know, shop, not just your closet, but tons of closets that are right around you, get things on the same day, not spend any more money, be able to get something, wear it for like school today and then let it go tomorrow. Like that's like the fantasy we had and meet people along the way if you want to. So since we kind of built the whole idea of, How do we create that behavior? We had tons of new elements like the subscription, like the fact that you have digital currency that's not tradable before even people were really speaking about digital currencies. The fact that, you know, it's not a professional seller marketplace. Any 20 year old uh, woman that is extremely responsible should be able to sell. So the whole behavior change, it's not uh, it's not stores anymore. Is
1: is Is that too many things that are new?
2: In a way, yes. Because in a way, when you have so many things that are new, um, it takes a lot of research to research, to build, to validate. Sometimes you have to build something for validation and then kill it and, and rebuild it. And you know that's, that's what's going to happen from the beginning, but that's the right way to go because you don't want to take too big of a, too big of a risk. So I think it really depends on on who you are as a person, too. You know, we saw companies, most of the companies that really changed our behavior struggled terribly for the first few years. So if you would like to build something that is more high likely to work, you should probably keep the ratio to 70% familiar, 30% new. And maybe don't even do B2C, maybe just go to B2B. So it really depends. So with trench, with many innovative ideas, you know, just... Asking to buy something from someone and not automatically buying it. A person being able to say, I'm going to sell it or not. Or who am I going to sell it to? Because maybe you're going to get multiple requests. So all these behaviors really change everything. So, so it's really about you know, focusing on a market that you believe that all these resources that you're putting into it would justify that. So if we were to launch in any other market, I don't think it would justify the efforts because mm. you're looking for a market where if you when your idea is accurate and it hits, you want it to be able to grow and you want to be the first to be able to grow it. You don't want to do all this research for someone else to, to do it. So you have to choose a market that you feel is homogenic enough and big enough for your product to scale in. And I think that is one of the, most powerful thing about the United States is it's just huge. It's 50 different uh, states that combine together to one country. And it really looks this way. You know, you go into different cities, all the traffic lights, they look the same, all the pavements, they look the same. There are disadvantages to it. But overall, as an economy, it brings you into such a powerful place. And I think we're starting to see that, like, for example, with Europe, too. So the more um we become one when it comes to our technical way of living the more powerful we become as a market and the more we can gain uh, innovation earlier
1: i think that's actually uh we could do like a spin-off podcast on 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 how culture and whether we're becoming globalized which will make it easier or whether actually countries are actually now trying to become more personalized, let's call it, because they want to remain French and remain German and remain English. So anyway, interesting. but I two, two, two things I want to talk about coming from what you just mentioned. First of all, I want to object officially <laughs> on, 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 on you keep saying that B2B is easier than B2C. Listen, I've been into the B two B business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not
2: allowed to say that, huh? It's, no,
1: no, 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 no. B two B is super difficult. You're you're selling to professionals. They uh, they rigorously research. They benchmark. They have a procurement uh, division. They you know the contracts can take you know they can be. But
2: it's hard. I didn't say it's not hard. It's as
1: hard, if not. It's 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 different. Okay, let's agree it's different, and we're not saying one is harder. I think it's just a different talent, maybe to sell to so a B. Let's,
2: Let's say it in a more accurate way. Statistically, there are more successful B two B companies by far than B two C companies.
1: Is that a fact?
2: Yes. I,
1: it is. I, I don't know. We'll check it. We'll do a fact check. We're,
2: we're talking about technological companies, right? Yeah, like, but
1: not uh, uh, my
2: barber shop. No, uh, no, corner, no. But I think there the are t- m-
1: actually I think there are very few B two B two B companies compared to endless B two C. You're talking about the mega B two C companies, right?
2: I'm talking in general, you know, like um, the more risk you take, the bigger you can get. But when it comes to just like facts, I'm not talking about the giant B2Bs or the giant B2Cs. If you're comparing just B2C companies to B2B companies, there are many more B2B companies that are able to generate revenue for their investors and to maintain workplaces for people than B2C companies. But when a B2C company succeeds... The success is usually much more impressive and, and, and much b- bigger.
1: Okay. To be continued. Anyway, I just wanted to object. Um, <laughs> I, I think we reached a, a good settlement here. Uh, on the other, so maybe just to fast forward now, because you know, like I want to hear what you think about the future. And I want to I wanna ask it in a, in a very specific way. So I have this thing, I call it the exponential question, right? And, and try to disconnect yourself from who you are as much as you can, or, or what you did with Trench. And I want to give you my theory about the future, and I want you to agree, disagree, or, or give me your take on it, when it comes to specifically maybe fashion and consumption, because that's what we talked about, right? So I think that in the future, we might not even, and I'm not, I'm talking like 10, 15, 20 years, uh, we might not even consume in any way that's similar to how we're actually consuming today. I will just have some type of super cool printer in my home and maybe a few printers, right? A printer for food, a printer for clothes, a printer for X. I'll have, let's call it, for lack of a better word, like espresso capsules, and they will be the threads for the, for the T-shirt or the whatever for whatever else I'm making. I stick it in the machine. What I get from the brand because they might still exist is a blueprint of the thing that was advertised to me which i want because desire will still live and then i desire this amazing new whatever let's let's say it's a it's it's it's, it's a t-shirt cuz i desire t-shirts and then uh and then i just stick it into the printer I press, and then it, the, the the T-shirt comes out. And you know what? Because we're like living in a sustainable world, I won't even put it on some platform. It'll just dissolve if I throw it away, and maybe it can become the material for my next T-shirt. What do you think?
2: I think it's very accurate. I think that the last sentence is really like, I do think and believe that the way the industry will be built because... So much we learn from, you know, environment today and materials. If there would be a way to take your old clothes, for example, and reuse the fabric to print something new, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. It's just the right way. and, And there can eventually it's all about the business model and the business model that will support that, that will make sure everybody benefits from it because it's the right way to do things would win. That's that's what I believe. The thing that creates most value to most people will win in the long term. So I think that, yes, very likely we will be able to print out the things that we want. You know, companies would be selling, uh, some companies would be selling the fabrics. Maybe it's the same companies or not that would be selling um, the design itself. Maybe it's going to be individuals, right? Maybe we will have... Just like today, anybody can do Photoshop through their phone and create professional images, which is something that was unbelievable a few years ago. Maybe every person could kind of create their own design and sell it. Maybe that's also going to be a marketplace. And I think it's, it's very likely. I also think that uh, when it comes to the fashion industry, we need to remember that also the world is really moving digital and that physical and digital are starting to mix up. So even uh, today, when you look at Instagram, most of the people, it's automatic filters are cameras on the phones. If you have an iPhone, for example, it already has an, a built-in filter. So already you get a distorted view reality. Yeah. And I think that um, with AR coming and like AR glasses, that's going to change things tremendously. I want to hope that following COVID-19 fashion would become much more comfortable and convenient. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I can say, and with speaking with many other women around the world, we don't like heels anymore. Like wearing heels for the first time after going out after a year that you stayed at home is a terrible it's like, experience. Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I don't like this anymore, and it's it, and it sucks because it's gorgeous. But I think that you know that combination would probably create a world where we are wearing extremely comfortable fabrics. You know, there are tons of amazing technologies out there now for like weather control and things like that. We would Everything would also have data and tracking in it. And through AR, we can wear all these crazy things. You know, you could be wearing a Louis Vuitton dress on the street and you're going to be actually be in like sweatpants. But
1: But whoever, I think... With
2: the glasses would see you wearing this gorgeous Louis Vuitton dress, which Louis Vuitton will sell to you online, yeah, it's just like the a, ability to wear
1: it. It's like the skin on on, on the, uh, Minecraft or whatever one of those games that you buy stuff yes. on.
2: So I think that, you know, and, and when you look at gaming and social media, I think that, you know, if you would compare a crazy gamer into like a crazy fashionista blogger on Instagram, they would feel that they don't really have anything in common, but actually they share so much in common because they all, they both have digital lives and they both spend a lot of their life communicating with people digitally. And they're creating these images of themselves, which is themselves. You know, it's a it's a it's a certain version of myself that exists in the online world. It's uh it's like a parallel universe in a way, but it's very real. And I think that this will start to mix into our own reality once we have these glasses and we're able to just like appear however we want. And maybe, you know, if I see you on the street, I, I would want you to see me, you know, with my makeup on and with a really gorgeous, beautiful dress. So it, it really depends. And I think that it's going to be crazy.
1: So actually, that was a super optimistic and, and cool way to kind of wrap it up. And I think we have a few startups to go and start to work on. I can think of like <laughs> three that just came out of the last five minutes. So I think we have some work ahead of us. It's been great to have you on, Adi.
2: So before we leave, I want to say, uh, you know, by the way, it's even you and me, we met through the digital world. Like we never met physically before. Like we became to know each other through the digital world. So already this beautiful remote control became a filter for us in our real lives because we are friends and in, in reality outside of our screens.
1: True, um, true.
2: Yeah, so it was really it was really fun. <laughs> so it
1: works, the technology works. <laughs> it's real. <laughs>
2: technology is just an enabler for our own desires as a human race.
1: I'm not going to add anything to that. That's it. that's a good way to finish.
2: Desires can be bad too, but I want to believe That's that a
1: different uh, that's good. a different podcast, Adi. Okay, we're going to we're going <laughs> to thank our listeners and meet you on the next episode. See thank you. Thank
0: you, it was really fun. Thank you. In this fast-paced digital landscape, you can never really be sure what exciting new innovations are coming around the bend. The fashion industry is no exception, and we're sure to see some fascinating revolutions happening in this area as environmental concerns and shifting priorities continue to progress into the future. Adi shared some fascinating insights about the world of fashion and the rapidly evolving digital universe. As we continue to grow into the next digital age, Adi's sage advice about consistently reflecting on the value you're providing to consumers are wise words to live by. Adi, thank you for taking the time to share your point of view. Thanks for listening to Point of View, a podcast by Amdocs. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you next time.